From points across California, you're listening to the Disneyland edition of the Diz Unplugged. Hello and welcome to the Diz Unplugged Roundtable Discussion Disneyland Edition for the week of May 8th, 2011. I'm your host this week, Tom Bell, and I'm joined by my fellow Disneyland correspondents Wayne Toygo, Nancy Johnson, and Tony Spatel. In this week's show, Tony will have his review of the Minnie and Friends Character Breakfast, and Wayne will give us some history on the Pirates of the Caribbean attraction. All that plus this week's news and roundtable rapid fire on this edition of the Diz Unplugged. How are you doing today, guys? Great. Good. Great. Yay. Well, before we get started, I have a little housekeeping. Okay, a lot of housekeeping. On our last show, we coerced Tony into running the Tinkerbell Half Marathon. Good for you, Tony. In order to raise money for Give Kids the World Through the Power of Tin. I think we kind of glossed over some of the details of what the money was go- actually going for. So I called in an expert. And joining us now is Diz Unplugged senior correspondent, Dave Parfit. Dave, welcome to the Disneyland edition of the Diz Unplugged. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Tom. Hey, Dave. Hey, Nancy. Hey, Tony, Wayne. It's good to be Uh, on. Let's first start with Give Kids the World. What is Give Kids the World? Give Kids the World is a village in Kissimmee, Florida, or Kissimmee, however you say that. It is where the children with life-threatening illnesses stay when they have a wish to visit Walt Disney World or any of the Central Florida attractions. So... Give Kids the World partners with wish-granting organizations like the Make-A-Wish Foundation, and when children with life-threatening illnesses want to go to see Mickey Mouse, when they want to meet Ariel, that's where they stay. Make-A-Wish gets them to Florida, and once they're there, everything is included um, at the village. So they have a villa villa there. They have a two-bedroom villa there. They have all the amenities are there. They have this amazing pool. All their meals are included. Their theme park tickets are included. Everything is taken care of. Now, how does the Power of Ten work into all of that? Well, the Power of Ten is an effort that uh, that Pete Warner mentioned on on the show. We had done some fundraising for Give Kids the World. Pete Warner is... Pete Warner is the host of the yeah, Disney. Yeah, no, you're talking to Disneyland people here. Non-Disneyland yeah. Wait, edition. Pete, Pete, wait, Warner? <laughs> Smart Alec. Oh, oh, yes. Okay, him. For, for those of you who are listening to this from the Disneyland boards that might not know for sure, uh, Pete Warner is the actual founder of the Diz boards. That's right. So Pete founded the Diz boards. He is a, a co-owner of Dreams Unlimited Travel. And Pete had the idea to do a fundraiser for Give Kids the World. We had done some fundraisers in the past, uh, mostly by selling T-shirts, things like that, and raised probably between ten dollars and $20,000 in that effort. Um, actually, I think depending on, on who you talk to, with all the various efforts that people were engaged in, I think – the Diz ended up raising close to $60,000 for Give Kids the World. And so it got Pete thinking, so if we could tap into the group, you know, you look at the Diz, the Diz has almost 350,000 members in all of its various forums. If you could tap just a part of that energy, we could really do something special for Give Kids the World. So what the idea was is let's get 10,000 people 
to contact 10 friends to each donate $10. And if we could do that, we would end up raising $1 million for Give Kids the World. So that's 10,000 people getting 10 friends to each donate $10. We did that simple thing. We could get $1 million. And again, if you think about how many people are on those boards or on those forums are listening to the podcast if you can get just get a portion of that disney fan community engaged this would really take off and we do a lot of good for some sick kids definitely and these are kids from all over the world too correct dave these are kids from all over the world and you know as we were preparing for this and we were talking a little bit you know, the question came up you know why should people in california why should people that generally go to disneyland care about you know sending kids to Walt Disney World. Well, you know, the one answer to that is we're talking about children with life-threatening illnesses that are sick. But it's not just kids on the East Coast of the United States that are going to Walt Disney World. As you said, Nancy, these are kids from all over the world and some of those are on the West Coast. There is no other village that is like Give Kids the World. Meaning, Disneyland does not have a corresponding type of village. If there are children in the western part of the United States that have a wish to go to Disney, and I say that intentionally vaguely, you know, meaning Disneyland or Walt Disney World, they're actually going to fly across the country to Florida to go to Walt Disney World. And because that village, Give Kids the World Village, is all set up to take care of their needs. There are doctors there. There are nurses there. There is staff on site. Um, I was actually told by Pamela Landworth, the president of Give Kids the World, that if there are kids that are in Europe, kids that are in England, that have a wish to go to Disney, they don't go to Disneyland Paris. They actually get flown all the way across the Atlantic to go to Give Kids the World and go to Walt Disney World because yeah. Give Kids the World Village is the only place in the entire world that – is really set up to make these wishes come true. Dave, how long has Give Kids the World been in existence? This is the 25th anniversary of Give Kids the World. And they are, they've been around for a long time. They've been growing for a long time. Are they the, successful? Do they, uh, how do they do as far as the money that you donate getting actually to the organization itself? Oh, that's, that's a great question. They've actually been rated as one of the best stewards of Money. 93% of every dollar donated to Give Kids a World goes directly towards the mission of the organization. That's so incredible. That's 93 yeah. cents that's on the dollar. Difference. Yeah. So that's they are very good, very good stewards of the money. They do not have a lot of overhead. Most of the activities that go on in the village are all run by volunteers. They have an incredible army of volunteers that come through uh, that. Uh, keep the overhead low in the village. Yeah, you and I have both done that. We've, That's we've right. gone down as part of a, a Disboard visit and really just had an amazing time helping those kids. I, yeah. I, I've never seen anything like it in my life. And what was your impression of the village when you went there, Nancy? Oh, my God, it's a, a crazy, amazing place. Yeah, to say that Give Kids the World is just a place where children with life-threatening illnesses stay is... A misnomer. It's very easy to spend an entire day in the village. There's the most amazing miniature golf course that I've ever seen there. Oh my god, yeah. 
Since you've been there, Nancy, they actually have installed their pirate ship in the pool. They have an 80-foot pirate ship with a screen that comes down so children can watch movies while they're sitting in the pool. They have dive-in movies. They have horses that come in on Wednesdays and Saturdays, and children will ride horses. Um, it's You can easily spend a day, if not more, there. Every evening, there is entertainment in the facility. They... They bring in characters, theme park characters from Disney, from Universal, from SeaWorld will all actually come to the village and do meet and greets and photos with the children that are there. They do shows in the evening time. Uh, it's an amazing place. And one of the, one of the things I think is important to per- point out too, you know, those that are out there listening to this show, you're all Disney fans. You wouldn't be listening to this show if you weren't a Disney fan, you know, be that you're a fan of Disneyland, if you're a fan of Walt Disney World, if you're a fan of the movies or whatever, you're a Disney fan and you kind of get that Disney touches people. And this is a way, you know, by donating to this effort, you know, be it Tony running the Tinkerbell Half Marathon, be it some of the other efforts that are out there, this is a way for us to, to give back. These families that are dealing with these life-threatening illnesses, many times they can't afford to go on vacations. This may be the only vacation they will get um, in the lifetime of this child. And it's not just a place where the child with a life-threatening illness gets doted upon. They treat the whole family like they are special. This is probably the one time in their lives that they can actually let the world of doctors, the world of nurses, the world of medical bills all behind and just focus on being a family and having fun and going to Walt Disney World, going to Universal, going to SeaWorld, doing those things that we as Disney fans take for granted. So it's a chance for us to give back. So how, how do our listeners give back? How do, how do we help? There's a website that's set up. It's powerof10.us. That's powerof10.us. And if you go there, it'll explain a little bit more about what Give Kids the World is all about. It'll explain how you can donate. We actually have pages set up on firstgiving.com for people to donate. People can text message if they want. If you text D-I-S-G-K-T-W, that's Diz Give Kids the World, to 50555, $10 will automatically be sent to Give Kids the World as part of this effort. And that donation will show up on your, on your, on your cell phone bill. And that's the entire $10 goes straight to Give Kids the World, correct? That's exactly right. And we have forums set up on the Power of 10 site. So if people get ideas for how they can fundraise, if they want, you know, to ask for help for how they can get ideas for fundraise, they can go to the Power of 10 site and get all that information. And we also have a special First Giving page set up for our, our little fundraising effort for Tony. It's a big, long URL, so we'll just put that in the show notes. Yeah. And what are the, de- what are the yeah. details on that? How much do people have to raise for Tony to run in his Tinkerbell outfit? Well, you say it like I have it ready to go. <laughs> He's got the wings. No, well, I don't own a Tinkerbell outfit yet. But you know what's funny is I, I was in the parks recently, and... I saw a girl. Yeah, I saw a girl in front of me with the outfit, and I just kind of shook my head and said, "Okay." And pushed her down. Yeah, I was a little angry. But anyway, the the amount we're looking for is two thousand dollars, and Tony will run the Tinkerbell Half Marathon in what is it, January twenty ninth of next year? Yes. Yep. Uh, in a Tinkerbell wings and and costume. Okay. Wait, yeah. Be wait. Be careful. No, no, no. Not costume. Uh, 
Let's get this specific. Okay. Wings and skirt. I will be wearing a wings and a skirt on top of sweatpants. Of course. Yes. Now, if I lose a lot of weight between now and then, maybe not, but I, I doubt it. So Tony is being very, very generous in, and gracious with us for coming up with this torture for him. <laughs> I think this is great. I think it's actually a great way to raise money, and it's going to a great cause. So I think it sounds like a great idea, Tony. Yeah, and, and as I, silly, as if silly I could as, get there at the end of January, I would definitely run by well, your side. And as silly as, as it is, it's about the kids, and it's about the charity, and you know, if they can go through, and those families have to go through what they have to go through, then me wearing um, Tinkerbell wings and a skirt is enough. You know, I have no right to complain about that. That's a good point. I mean, really, if you think about it. So I encourage everybody to give to give kids the world and to run in the Princess Tinkerbell, whatever it's called that I signed up for. <laughs> All right, Dave, I'll give you the last word on this. Sounds great. And again, if I can get out there at the end of January, I'll run by your side. I think it's great uh, for you to be doing this, Tony. It's it's for a great cause. So if anybody has any questions, you can go to thepowerof10.us and find my contact information there, post questions in the forums, and um, please get involved. Excellent. Thanks for joining us, Dave. Oh, thanks for having me. All right. Does anybody else have any housekeeping? No. Oh, oh, me, I do. Oh, my goodness. She's asleep over there. I am, man. It's late. Anyway, um, so as everybody who listens to our Orlando show knows, that they put a challenge out to to us to attend Bat's Day at Disneyland. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Bat's Day at Disneyland, it is a, or I should say, an annual convention of goth enthusiasts. That's a really good way to say it. Um, it descends on Anaheim every year, and as part of their festivities, they do a group attendance at Disneyland. So, um, that being said, Bats Day is a really fun time for folks who really like, you know, the goth persuasion, you know, the vampire genres, and uh, lately, steampunk. Um, what is costuming? Steampunk? Okay, I'm out of. I'm totally. Yeah, that, I'm that, you, I was good till you said steampunk. Okay, steampunk is um, steampunk is sort of like that futuristic Victorian stuff. Basically, um, H.G. Wells and um, okay, gotcha. and and that sort of Wait, League really? of Extraordinary Tomorrowland, 1998. Kinda. Okay. I'm more. I'm more disappointed that you. Oh, now I get it. I still don't know what she's talking. about. <laughs> I'm just trying to get through this. That's all. Okay. <laughs> that's okay. Um, Google it. Okay. If you don't know what steampunk is, just Google it. Um, anyway, um, so I took the challenge in hand and uh, went and got dressed up in um, somewhat of a goth fashion. I mean, I by had, somewhat. Well, okay. That's like I will as, never truly that's make like it. dressing somewhat as Tinkerbell. I mean, it's you're either Tinkerbell or you're not. No, okay. I'm somewhat dressing. I I didn't go for the you know I didn't dye my hair any colors or anything like that. But I did wear a black lace dress and and you know clunky shoes and 
did I the was whole for purple hair. I know, but it was Mother's Day too, and that would have <laughs> been kind of weird for the kids. No excuses. But you know, the kids were really my kids were really getting into it. Zoe, Zoe and Lily both wanted their black dresses, and they and even Zoe got out some long silver satin gloves that she had from her uh, from her uh, um, kindergarten talent show and. You know, for Viva Las Vegas routine, and and I mean, we all got just dressed up to the nines, and we went, and um, actually, we I was mistaken for a goth at one <laughs> Seriously. point. I was, honest to God, and in fact, success. Yeah, I know. It was really kind of cool, actually. Somebody had asked me what was going on because I was taking pictures of the big at twelve noon. Um, Tradition has it, everyone meets in front of the castle and they do this huge group photo. And if Corey can give us a spot of... No, I wasn't because I was taking pictures, Ah. but I did pose with several other groups. And if you go to www.disunplug this week, you will be able to see me and my kids in goth. (laughs) Having a good that, time when, on golf day. And when will that be taken down so I know when I can go back? <laughs> when it's safe to go back. <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm printing the poster. Okay. <laughs> it was really fun. I And, of course, you know, a lot of the goth folks were congregating down by the Haunted Mansion. and But, I mean, everybody was everywhere. And it was so, many, so much fun to see all the goth kids, the little kids all dressed up and, and everything. Um, and as with any you know, modern subculture, you know, goth parents breed little goth kids and sports fans breed sports fans. Disney people breed breed Disney Disney people. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like any other, you know, subculture. So, and I will apologize now to everybody for the use of the word breed. I'm just saying, continue. (laughs) (laughs) That was random. (laughs) I don't think it's random as breeding, but <laughs> okay. so, so you had a good time. So yeah, we did. We really had a good time. In fact, um, one lady came over and gave my daughter little pins because they were so impressed that uh, my girls were all dressed up too, and you know, it was just kind of really Got- goth pins. Yeah, the little bat stay pins. Oh, the, neat. Uh, the bat stay folks had little bat stay pins made. Can you trade those? No, they're just a little more like the little button style. But. Oh, okay. But it was really fun, and it made us feel really, you know, like it was part of the whole thing. And, in fact, actually, as we were leaving, um, a gal gave us a, a flyer for her costuming website, you know, because you got to have some – if you're a goth, you got to have some place to buy really good goth clothes. So there are oh, actually sure. out there who make money doing that. So Awesome. I have to so, piggyback on this just a little bit. Uh, as you know, I fully intended to go with you down there. But a, a few days before this event, a tree fell on my house, and I had to stay home and deal with that. But I am very envious and glad that you got to go. Yeah, I, mi- I did miss you. I, you would have had a lovely time. So, so steampunk is similar to the Edwardian genre, isn't it? Yeah. I, it's- I, know, I know that one. It's that, an Edwardian Victorian kind of crisscross mesh. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen was a, a a good example of that for a more modern movie that takes on steampunk. And this is a Disneyland podcast, yes. I'm just just reminding everybody. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, but I, you know, you want an example, you know, Journey to the Center of the Earth. We no, I know. I, I checked it. 
I checked it out on the internet. I have no comment. Okay. <laughs> All right. Does anybody else have any housekeeping? Three, um, two, going once, going twice. Yep, nope, gone. Okay. Over to Nancy with the news this week. Okay, we have a handful of different stories this week. Um, the first one I'm going to start off with is actually kind of real news. Um, for our Canadian... <laughs> okay. As well, opposed to the rest of the really stories? Light. It was a really light news week okay. for the most part. We have two real news stories and then sort of a moderate... Some, some you story. made up, okay. Yeah, our first real news story was there seems to be um, a little bit of a kind of importance in the case of the missing Disney crew member from yeah. The Wonder. I've um, heard about this. Yeah, it appears that her parents were contacted by her bank, and since her disappearance, her bank account has been being used. It was so, her credit card, right? It was a de- yeah, credit card, debit card, something like that. So um, we're, of course... Praying and hoping because I know her family has has some renewed hope that she might still be alive. So we're praying and hoping for their case that that's true, and hopefully, if it isn't true, hopefully they can find the that did this. So and it, you know stole her cards. So that's we're hoping for some resolution. There has been no news, and they are kind of keeping things quiet to not hamper the search and investigation. So that's our first story down. Our second story actually has to do, um, for our Canadian listeners, um, this week saw the very first flight on WestJet Airlines from Canada to Orange County. Orange County has just opened Terminal C, which will feature its first international customs and immigrations facilities. So... Several other Canadian um, airlines have tried to um, have service to Orange County and just hasn't worked. Orange Canada, our Air Canada tried it. Virgin America tried it. Um, so now this is really kind of exciting that our Canadian friends and fans have an extra airline to travel with. And last but not least. And this is actually a bit of housekeeping as well as a news story. Oh, here we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guess who won the churro bag? Well, no, 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 no. It, it hasn't happened yet, so but go ahead. That's it's true. Official. It's not official. Not official. That's okay. Oh. When, when I write it, it'll be official. <laughs> well, you know, um, as you may recall, our churro bet was about if... Goofy Sky School and the restaurants would be opening on the same day as The Little Mermaid. And released this week... Goofy's a uh, slacker. Yeah, man, he's never very been very good with power tools. <laughs> well, then you shouldn't have made the bet, Tom. <laughs> <Yeah. Knowing> that. <laughs> That's right. They basically have said that all of that will be ready in time for 4th of July weekend, but they still have, um, as the Disneyland Resort spokesman said, Goofy needs a little more flight training. <laughs> that means they're behind on their construction schedule. So, it's Goofy. You know, it's all good. But you know what? When that is officially done, Paradise Pier will be officially done. That's the uh, the latest information for, on the churro bet and na, 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 na. I called that one. Oh my god! I'm done. I'm done. Right. 
There you go. No living with her now. Oh, man. Okay, let's do rapid fire. Let's start with Tony, because I think he has something that relates to what we just talked about. Yes, on July 1st at Paradise Pier, when the two new restaurants, counter service restaurants open, Disneyland has released what their idea for their menus are, as I could explain it in any more words to make it even more wordy. <laughs> okay, they've basically released their menus. Let's make that simpler. At Boardwalk Pizza and Pasta, they're going to have onstage kitchen, kitchens, and they're going to make flatbreads, pastas, and fresh salads. Flatbreads will run the gamut from a traditional cheese or pepperoni to a portobello mushroom and spinach flatbread with pesto artichokes, mozzarella, and other stuff. And if you like pasta, you can have classic spaghetti meatballs, pasta tossed with chicken and a sun-dried tomato cream sauce, ravioli, etc., etc., salads, including a chicken Caesar. Tom, we discussed that before, a regular chicken Caesar. A Mediterranean chef salad with some nice antipasto ingredients. And some of their salads, which they love those craisins things. And there's another salad with the dried cranberries in that one. And in addition, next door at the Paradise Garden Grill, they're going to go a little healthier, which will be interesting to see. I know. But um, we'll see. It's supposed to be a healthful Mediterranean menu with a variety of skewers and kebabs, including lemon oregano chicken, Mediterranean grilled steak or veggie, and tofu served with rice pilaf, cucumber salad, and grilled pita. Sounds very Greek. Sounds really good. Moroccan chili, to, you can get, and then you get your own sauces to go with the uh, kebabs to make them your own. Moroccan chili tomato, a chimichurri, tandoori spiced yogurt, and tzatziki. A classic Greek, a classic Greek salad, which I love. Okay, tzatziki. Sorry. I think I said tzatziki. Z- no, it's tzatziki. Actually, the T and the Z become a Z. We're going to look that up during your segment and double-check that. Okay. And if I'm good. wrong, I'm not going to do a true bit. I'm not, I'm, if I'm wrong, I'll say you're right. Um, a classic Greek salad with grilled pita also on the menu. And, oh, here we go for kids, grilled chicken skewer or beef kebab. I'm excited about the menu for me personally. My question is whether if you've got a bunch of kids that are looking for their corn dog and stuff. And I know they can go other places, but I'm interested in the menu because I like Greek food and I like Mediterranean food and I love feta cheese. But I'm just interested. I'm interested to see. So I'm excited about it. I'm interested for the the general public. I love yeah. the variety they keep bringing in. This is great. And it's fresh. I mean, it sounds fresh. I mean, how can you make a? You can't have a kebab sitting there all day. So I guess you could. Yeah. But yeah. I'm yeah. But I'm interested and I'm excited. And July first, I'll be doing first my reviews and for yeah, first and line. Everybody else will be on the rides and I'll be in line waiting for the. Uh, the new menus to debut. Maybe I can get a T-shirt and some like you know merchandise for it too. There you go. Okay. All right. Let's give yeah. Wayne a turn. Okay. Disney's El Capitan Theater in Hollywood is promoting itself as the official Pirates headquarters. It will be playing the newest Pirates of the Caribbean film on Stranger Tide, which opens ne- this next Friday, May the twentieth. The El Capitan always has extra displays and experiences for these big Disney films. This time, the theater has several things going on. There will be a display of a number of items used in making on Stranger Tides, including props, costumes, and set pieces. Also, each guest will receive a drawstring bag 
containing two pieces of eight, which were designed exclusively for the El Capitan Theater. The coins are reminiscent of the period when the films took place and, of course, will be available while supplies last. Also, during the film's run, they are going to be giving away four authentic 18th century Mexican gold coins. These are collector's coins with an estimated value of between $2,000 and $2,800. Holy. I found pictures of similar coins, and they look pretty cool. Each week, the El Capitan will randomly select one showing of the film and award the coin before the show. I didn't see any mention of a special live pre-show in the theater, but I'm pretty sure they'll be running the curtain show presentation that they normally run before each movie. Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides is currently scheduled to run from May the 20th through June 22nd, four weeks. Okay, speaking of D23 and the El Capitan, I have a quick uh, rapid fire. Uh, D23 is sponsoring a 20th anniversary showing of the 1991 film The Rocketeer. Ooh. Film director and writer Kevin Smith will host a panel of cast and crew members from the film, followed by a screening of the film, and then a chance to check out some of the, some memorabilia from the film. The event takes place on June 21st at the El Capitan in Hollywood, and tickets are $50. Uh, tickets are currently available through the box office for D23 members, and any remaining tickets will go on sale to the general public on May 23rd. Sounds like cool. a cool cool event. Uh, okay, Nancy, your turn. Rapid fire. Rapid fire. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you were well, while she's thinking, I no, have no, a new I... housekeeping. She's oh. right. She, that's, how the, that's how you pronounce it. She's She's right. <laughs> So I'm just going to exit the rest of the podcast, and I'll see you guys in a couple nice weeks. Nice talking to you, Tony. We'll see you, we'll see you in a couple <laughs> weeks. Yeah. I'm not gloating over that one. I really am not. I just know too many people who speak those languages because of where I live. So. And, of course, and I live in Orange County, so I know nobody that speaks those languages. On the other side of the freeway. Yeah. You know, okay. these things happen. Anyway, okay, mine is a shopping rapid fire. Yeah. Too exciting. Well, one sort of – one really kind of exciting – Kits and Kids has closed officially at Downtown Disney. Is that the Disney. exciting one or the not exciting one? That's the not exciting one. Okay. But you know what? I never really thought it fit in that well. No. One would think a kid's store would fit in really well. It was but a very high-end kid's store, though. It's, it's a very high-end kid's store like it's a very high-end store. My husband used to work across the street from Kitson in L.A. and in Beverly Hills. And, yeah, it's just not. So, anyway, it just really wasn't a good fit for the, you know, you're always spending all this money at Disneyland and, anyway. So, it's gone by. But, the cool thing that happened this week is Star Traders opened last weekend. And the Star Trader is the shop that is right as you exit out of Star Tours. So, they've remodeled our, I, not completely remodeled the inside of the store, but sort of did. They got rid of that big check stand in the middle and put merchandise in underneath it. And they hung an X-Wing fighter jet. Yeah, they brought back the X-Wing. Yeah. And put it up in the, put it up from the ceiling. Um, and they have a couple other really cool new features too. Besides getting a facelift, a brand new mural of planetary kind of stuff along the upside. They also have this really awesome animation that plays on the back wall. And it's 
sort of like you're watching, um, you know those little, um, those little flat, uh, moving walkways in the airports? It's like you're watching one of those as people are moving down the line to get on Star Tours. And only the silhouettes would really make a great game of, can you guess my species for Star Wars, for Star Wars buffs? <laughs> Cause they're all like different planetary species. Okay. And it, it's really cool. I mean, it kind of sounds weird, but once again, disunplugged.com, a blog just went up this week that, sh- and I've got, actually got a f- picture of it plus photos of all the stuff in the store. And they have some new merchandise, some really fun stuff. So anyway, there you go. Star okay, cool. is open. Awesome. All right. That is <laughs> uh, rapid fire. Let's head over to Tony and let's hear about Minnie and Friends. Okay, this will be a quick review of Minnie and Friends because I guess I just wasted a minute right there. But it'll be a quick review. The food is good, breakfast food. I thought it was good except for the hash browns. Tom, you went with me. Hash browns were awful. They were- but then again, when have you ever had good hash browns at a buffet? Yeah, no. Okay. So, I mean, they're hash browns. But really what I wanted to share is that, first of all, I have like three assumptions going in. And one was that I figured, okay, Minnie and Friends, Breakfast in the Park, it's inside Disneyland, it's outrageously expensive. Wrong. It's twenty three ninety nine. So there was my first Surprise. assumption blown out of the way. And the food was good. Not incredibly great. It was good. I'd say very good, considering it was $23.99. Uh, second thing, you to, to go with the expensive, you don't have to pay – well, you could kind of tip – but it's all self-service, including the drinks. So all they once you pay, you're in and you're in charge of your own food and everything. So you don't really have to tip as much as you would at one of the other places, if at if at all, depending. Um, so that kind of keeps the cost down. Also, everything's pink, and it's Minnie and Friends. So I figured, okay, I'm never taking my son. This is all for girls, and it's Minnie. And it wasn't. But there was one of the assumptions I had based on it being Minnie. And everything's pink, but it, it wasn't only girl characters or anything like that. So that was my second assumption that they threw oh, that I that I have thrown away. And also, I figured, well, it's going to be super crowded, hard to get a reservation. I mean, I did go on a rainy day, so it was easy to get in that way. But um, it wasn't hard. I got one that's that same morning. And the characters, there was a lot of character interactions, especially considering. It was twenty three ninety nine. Like I just expected it to be so much more. And I have the characters that I that were there when I was there. Minnie, Chip, or Dale, Tom. Do you remember which one? <laughs> one of them. Okay. Now, hey, Rafi, hey, look at the nose. Look yeah, at the yeah. eyes. I don't, I don't remember. It's well, it's a surprise if you go. Rafiki, uh, the uh, um, Eeyore, Honest John, and the penguins from Mary Poppins. Whoa, so those are different characters. There were some different yeah. characters, and they weren't like. And then there was also um, one of the fairy godmothers was there near the end when it was time to leave. But one of like, the fairy godmothers? No, just, what? just like, the, the fairy godmother. Okay, do you like how I threw that one of the? I know now I've lost all cred. I don't watch the princess stuff. I run as the princess stuff, but I won't watch. <laughs> I won't watch the princess stuff. But anyways, I just think all in all, considering the price and the location, I'm not going to get into the food because the blog will be up later in the week as the bre- as the character buffets go. You're in Disneyland, so you don't. You're, I mean, you're, as soon as you're done, you're gone. As soon as you pay, not that you want to go there and hurry up, but you don't have to wait. You get your food, you get your drinks yourself. The food was good, and 
it was only twenty three ninety nine with before a discount. Don't have to pay for a big tip. And you're actually in Disneyland. I actually think they should charge more. But hopefully nobody listens to that. But I was really surprised, and all of my assumptions were wrong. Tell everybody where it was. Thank you. That's a my, Maybe I should, huh? Maybe I should. <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't know. They should go to WDW Info and look it up. But um, <laughs> it's at the Plaza Inn. Thank you very much, Wade. It's at the Plaza Inn. I've always had a good time there. I, I think that is one of the best buffets there, especially for being inside the park. Uh-huh. And my thing is I just would have never tried it because it's called Minion Friends and everything's pink. Sorry. I mean – like, yeah, it okay. sounds like a girly one. Yeah, like, hey, Andrew, you do you want to go? Girls. Yeah, yeah, do you want to go to Minion Friends? Everything's pink and it's mini, <laughs> Dad, no. But the food, yeah. I was really, yeah, I really liked it. So, And, again, it goes along with the whole idea of you can't always judge a book by its cover to keep the cliche going. And there's things that I consider it hidden, even though it's not hidden. At least it was hidden to me. But it was good. I liked it, and I would tell people to go there. Awesome. Okay. Thanks, Tony. Appreciate it. And the blog will, and the blog will be up later in the week. Uh, we are going to like rock the blog with Disneyland stuff this week. My goal is that mine's the one that gets the rid of your bats. Pictures <laughs> <in>. so. <laughs> so I guess I'll put, that'll be Friday. You're putting that one up. <laughs> yeah, we're going to try. All right, let's head over to Wayne. Let's talk about pirates. Thanks, Tom. First of all. Caribbean or Caribbean? I don't know. I use them both interchangeably, so apologies right up front. Pirates of the Caribbean at Disneyland was the last attraction that Walt Disney himself helped in designing. Unfortunately, Walt died before Pirates opened, but even so, his influence on the design details was very strong. Pirates of the Caribbean opened on March 18th, 1967, and most consider this attraction as one of Disneyland's classic attractions and one of those that define the Disneyland experience. So, let's take a look at Pirates, past and present, and see the many elements that brought this wonderful attraction together. Pirates is located at the end of the Adventureland section of Disneyland between Tarzan's Treehouse and the New Orleans Square area. It sits right in front of the Rivers of America and across from Tom Sawyer's Island. The plans for Pirates go back to the late 50s. It was originally thought to be a walkthrough attraction. The early plans for New Orleans Square included a haunted mansion, a thieves' marketplace, and a pirate wax museum. Construction began on New Orleans Square in 1961, and an underground basement was dug with the idea that guests could enjoy dining and shopping and then go downstairs through a pirate wax museum. But then came the 1964 World's Fair and the invention of audio animatronics. Work on Pirates was halted, and during the time that everyone was at Imagineering was working on the World's Fair. After the fair, those attractions were retrofitted into Disneyland. When work was finished on It's a Small World, Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln, Primeval World, and the Carousel of Progress, construction then resumed on New Orleans Square. Walt told his designers to take what they had learned from the World's Fair projects and put them into the new attractions that were going to go into New Orleans Square. 
Walt changed the concept of pirates to a boat ride, which would pass through various scenes. Pirates would use the same boat system that was used in It's a Small World. Yay. The whole attraction would tell a story which is so important to all major Disneyland attractions. Imagineer Mark Davis produced the sketches of the pirates that are seen throughout the attraction. Claude Coates designed many of the wonderfully detailed sets, and the audio animatronic figures were designed by Blaine Gibson, all really famous Disney legend Imagineers. One of the most unique parts of the attraction is that at the start of your ride, your boat passes right past the open dining room of the Blue Bayou Restaurant. It's hard for us Disneyland veterans not to oversell this part, but it's so cool from both sides of the attraction. From inside the boat, you've entered the New Orleans Bayou in the early evening with the soft sounds of crickets and the sight of the occasional firefly that seems to appear and disappear from nowhere. But no humidity. But no humidity. (laughs) The first few times I rode Pirates, it was late in the day, and I clearly remember thinking I was outside. You pass by a typical southern mansion which houses the Blue Bayou restaurant, and you can see everyone enjoying a peaceful meal. From the restaurant side, it's wonderful to sit at your table near the river's edge and watch the boats pass by. It's really great, and everyone must put this on your must-do list at some point when you visit Disneyland. Besides, it's the only place where you can get a Monte Cristo and a mint julep and sit by the river. Of course, this pleasant scene is about to be interrupted by a Jolly Roger pirate skull warning you of Ast. Ye come seeking adventure in salty old pirates, aye? The voice of the Jolly Roger is actually Xavier Atencio, who all of us know as Exatencio. Well, we know what comes next. The first drop is 52 feet down and brings you into a short cave where you hear the ever-popular song... Yo-ho, yo-ho, a pirate's life for me. Is it really 52 feet? 52 feet down, uh, first drop. I It never feels that bit, that long. You're in the dark, and you're distracted. <laughs> Go figure. The Pirate's Life song was composed by John, George Bruns with lyrics by Exitensio. This begins one of several items that are referenced in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. The opening of The Curse of the Black Pearl has a very young Elizabeth Swan singing A Pirate's Life on the front of her father's ship. There are many other references in the Pirates movies, especially at the start of the attraction. And here I thought you were going to ask me to sing Pirates. No worries. <laughs> no, 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 no. Next we come to the second drop, which is 37 feet down. Really? Yes, ma'am. I mean, I always knew that one was shorter, but really? Yes, um. Boy, am I a really bad judge of heights. And we'll come to why in just a second. Okay. Oh, I can't wait. (laughs) Next, you pass through the waterfall cave room, which I think is one of the coolest scenes in Pirates. From there, we enter the storm scene, where a skeleton pirate is steering a tattered wreck of a ship. Are you going to tell them what to look for, though, in the cave scene? Coming up or in the storm scene right here? No, the cave scene before coming up. Tell us, tell us. 
Okay, if you as you're coming down and and you go around, your boat starts to go around the corner. You see kind of some clouds in the grottos. Yes. Uh, in the rock work to the sides, and there's actually I think a hidden Mickey that passes by, and a pirate ship that passes by in the clouds. Hmm. Didn't know that one. Okay. Yeah. Pirates is actually a really good one for hidden Mickeys. I'll talk about another one a little later, but uh, there is just so much written about pirates. I um, Getting back to the uh, storm scene, I saw an early description of what this scene might have been. Um, it, was, it was imagined to be an old pirate that was lashed to the wheel and would turn into a skeleton every time the lightning flashed. In fact, I think they referenced this in that really old 45 of the Pirates of the Caribbean uh, description that they used to sell at the park. The next scene shows the cruise quarters, which features a couple of pirate skeletons still playing chess and a couple more drinking at the bar. There's a portrait of a female pirate that's above the bar, which is another Mark Davis creation. One of the pirate skeletons is drinking a bottle of wine, and the effect shows the liquid passing right through the skeleton body. This effect was nicely reproduced in The Curse of the Black Pearl, Pearl mm-hmm. when Barbosa is standing in the moonlight, so he's also appearing as, as a skeleton, and he drinks a bottle of wine which passes right through him. It's a really cool effect. It is. On the opposite side, we pass the captain's quarters and then on to the treasure room. Gold and treasure is everywhere, and it's quite the pirate's cache. And off to the side, you can clearly see the stone chest that contains the Aztec gold coins that caused the dreaded pirate curse. Some of these items, including this one, was added when pirates underwent a refurbishment back in 2006, along with several other changes. I'll talk a little bit more about that later. At this point, the boats enter a long, 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 dark cave. Originally, this area just had a sinister voice that echoed in the cave, warning of the evils of seeing the cursed treasure. Here, too, is another Pirates movie reference. One of the other phrased, one of the other phrases echoed in the cave is repeated by Barbosa at, in the At World's End movie. They are about to go over the end of the world waterfall, and Barbosa warns Elizabeth, you may not survive to pass this way again, and these be the last friendly words you'll hear. Gives me chills every time. <laughs> Especially when you say it, I get a few extra chills. This the, that's one of the things that actually made World's End a good movie. There's lots of parts of all three of them that I think people miss, and a lot of them are actually attributed to references within the Pirates of the Caribbean attraction. That makes sense. This part of the attraction actually brings you under the railroad tracks. <laughs> this is because the main show building is actually outside the tracks or outside the berm. The overhead map of the Pirates Ride track is surprising because the ride actually loops over itself a couple of times. The cave area of the treasure room 
is where you are passing from New Orleans Square to the main show building, which is outside the berm. Now we're in the main scenes for Pirates of the Caribbean. The story is that a pirate ship has attacked and subsequently ransacked a Spanish town. Not very nice by today's standards, but this actually happened in the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. The battle between the pirate ship and the Spanish fort starts this part of the story. The original ship's captains shouted orders and threats to the fort, such as strike your colors and give them another broadside, which means fire all the, all the side cannons. The 2006 renovation placed Captain Barbosa on the ship, which is now named the Wicked Wench. There's a great hidden Mickey on the fort, which was formed by three cannonball holes. It's a little hard to see now, but I think it's still there. The next scene shows the dunking of the town's mayor to make him tell where the treasure is, followed by perhaps the most famous scene in Pirates of the Caribbean. That is the bride's auction. Despite the subject matter, the scene has mainly remained relatively the same since the beginning. The main auctioneer has always been the most advanced audio-animatronic of the attraction. It is actually the figure that is used most often to test new forms of the audio-animatronic technology, which is why it frequently has better movement than most of the other characters in the attraction. The version that's currently there has a very natural flowing arm and body movement, and I think it looks really good. Now, as originally imagined... The next scene showed a number of pirates chasing young ladies around the town. One woman in a wedding dress was chasing another pirate. There was also a particularly chubby pirate resting near a barrel who was telling tales of trying to, ta to catch a young girl. As times changed, there started to be guest objections, and in 1997, Disneyland began changing various parts of this scene. First, they had the girls carrying pies, so it looked like the pirates were after their food. The <laughs> well, we woman, know really what's after. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> the other woman now carried a rolling pin and chased a pirate who had stolen a ham. The fat pirate's dialogue was changed, and there were some other changes also. But the guest reactions were more that Disney was making politically correct changes rather than either leaving the scene alone or changing it outright. Then, in 2006, after the success of The Curse of the Black Pearl and with the upcoming Dead Man's Chest movie, Imagineers made several changes throughout the attraction. This scene in particular was updated. Now, one area shows two pirates running with a treasure chest. Another shows a woman chasing a pirate with some kind of a weapon. And the seated pirate is now holding a map and is talking about the hidden treasure. This is also where Captain Jack Sparrow was added to this scene and also in the Dunking Mare's scene and at the end of the attraction. The other thing that was added was the Davy Jones image in the long tunnel cave. Many of the Imagineers didn't really like the modifications, including Exitensio, who called it Boy Scouts of the Caribbean. <laughs> I can see him saying that, too. 
I like the old scenes, but I will admit that it was starting to feel a bit tired. I do like the new Jack Sparrow editions, and I think that they add some new life to pirates. They, but the 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 thing that bothers me is the animatronics on those figures is so far advanced from what the rest of the ride is that it seems like too real and out, kind of out of place. I'll agree with you. There is quite a lot of the old technology, and it doesn't take much to figure just on observation how a lot of that animation worked. Mm-hmm. Remember, this ride was originally imagined back in the 60s, yeah. and some of that still exists today, um, although it sure beats the haunted house at your county fair, doesn't it? <laughs> Next, we head to the burning of the city. The fire effect used here is a standard old haunted house effect, speaking of old effects, but done with the Imagineering flair. The effect in the beginning was so real-looking that when it was first introduced, the fire marshal insisted that a real fire sprinkler be added to the attraction. <laughs> Next, there's a trio of singing pirates who are singing the Yoho a Pirate's Life song. The voices of the pirates are J. Pat O'Malley, Paul Fries, and Thurl Ravenscroft. <laughs> you probably all know those voices as uh, the voices who did the effects in the Haunted Mansion and various other attractions around Disneyland. Traveling under the burning embers of the city, we end up in the town jail, which was also featured in the Pirates movies. In fact, the dog carrying the keys... I think he appeared in all three films. It's interesting how some of the scenes, like this one, were original attraction scenes that were used in the Pirates movies, and some aspects of the movies were incorporated back into the attraction. It's an interesting synergy. A bit more behind-the-scenes info. After the jail scene, you exit the show building and head back again to the New Orleans Square structure. The last scene is some drunken pirates firing weapons at each other, and the best Captain Jack figure celebrating the treasure he's found. Note here that as Jack sings, he's in perfect time with the background music and the Yo-Ho-Yo-Ho theme. Yep. The last element was actually one of Walt's favorites. I think all of these were actually Walt's favorites, but... The last one is always Walt's favorite. In the Disneyland TV show, Walt mentioned that we entered the attraction by falling down a waterfall. So how do we get out? Well, we have to fall up a waterfall, which is what the last effect is supposed to be. Your boat is lifted up a not-so-steep 90-foot waterfall, back to the top and back to the bayou area. All total, there are 64 human and 55 animal audio-animatronic figures in the Pirates of the Caribbean attraction. Pirates lasts about 15 minutes and has a capacity that varies around about 3,400 guests per hour. This is quite large for a theme park attraction. Most rides are doing well if they do between 1,000 and 1,500 guests per hour, And if you do the math, that's about 20 per minute, and Pirates is almost three times that. Yeah. Pirates was one of the 
one of the original FastPass attractions, but since the line moved so consistently, FastPass was removed in 2004. Almost every Disney resort has a Pirates of the Caribbean attraction. Walt Disney and all World, them varied just a little. Tokyo Disneyland, <clears throat> Disneyland Paris, they all have pirates, but Hong Kong Disneyland so far does not have one. Interesting. Or- Originally, Walt Disney World was not supposed to get Pirates of the Caribbean. The thinking was that since Florida was so close to the Caribbean, that guests would travel out there, wouldn't really be interested in another Caribbean attraction. Such was not the case, and guests in great numbers complained that there should be a Pirates attraction in the Magic Kingdom. The trouble was that even with all the space that the Magic Kingdom had, the available space in Adventureland was limited. The Imagineers had to downsize the ride to fit the area. Unfortunately, that meant that several scenes had to be deleted. The starting scenes from the Waterfall Cave, the Cruise Quarters, Captain's Quarters, and the Treasure Room, unfortunately, were deleted. The Walt Disney World attraction moves from just one drop directly to the Davy Jones cave and then the pirate ship battle scene. The ending scenes after the jail were also deleted. I think if they could have done a modified queue line, similar to what was done with the Indiana Jones queue, and have it really extend beyond the berm and kind of, you know, you could still do the whole fort thing and just travel it a little for- farther then they could have moved the show building farther out and provided some extra room for the rest of the attraction elements yeah but if you've ever been back in that section of the park there's a lot of stuff back there like the parade barn is back on that side it's not back in behind like ours is and so this is the whole problem they are unfortunately really limited in space yeah. back there and the trash system comes out in that sector, too, back behind Splash Mountain. So, yeah. And, of course, it's probably too late now. I'm not sure how they would <laughs> squeeze that in with some, yeah. without some major downtime and some major redesign. Pirates of the Caribbean is well-deserved of its classic Disneyland reputation. It continues to be one of the most popular attractions in the park and frequently on every guest must-see list for every visit. I love it, and it's been a while since I've been. It's definitely time to sail again. Yo-ho, yo-ho, a pirate's life for me. What's your opinion, Wayne, of the all the changes they're making when they bring out new pirates movies? And I mean, do you, do you like that they're messing with the with the original or messing? That has a that has oh, a sorry. you're giving a bias a- adjusting things. Oh, there you go. I do like them. Um, I like the that Disneyland does have the flexibility to be able to do these kinds of changes. I'm also glad that they are somewhat temporary and that they do bring back the original attraction elements. After they've done some of those, um, I understand there's going to be a surprise um, in in tune with On Stranger Tides mm-hmm. that's that's going to be happening in in one of the caves. Um, but th- this goes along with the kinds of overlays that we do for Small World and for Haunted Mansion on various things. I I think it it brings a, an additional new life to those of us that call Disneyland our home. Aww. 
That's beautiful. I know. <laughs> yo ho, yo ho. We've been recording too long. We're getting yeah. crunchy. Yes. Yeah. All right. Thanks for that, Wayne. Well, that'll do it for this edition of the Diz Unplugged. Also, be sure to check out the Orlando team. They'll have their news and rapid fire show. They're going to have a review of both the Animal Kingdom Lodge and the California Grill at the Contemporary Resort. Plus, they're doing a show dedicated to last week's 10 most popular threads on the Diz boards. And that'll do it for us. Thanks for listening. 